Before this week's new episode, we wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast we highly recommend. Our friend Pam Uzel runs the Art Heals All Wounds podcast. Pam and her guests look at so many wonderful stories of how art can change the world for the better and the journeys that led to that change. Of course, there's a good chance there's a crossover with tech every now and then. Make sure you stay tuned to the end of this episode to hear Pam's trailer for her wonderful show. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Crosswise. It's James here. And this week, we are going to be taking a little bit of a step back in time to look at kind of, I wouldn't even say retro, but how our video used to be done. There you go. I'll put on a Yorkshire accent for you all, or try and do my best Lancastrian. Anyway. Yeah, we're going to be taking a bit. We're going to be looking at how video editing used to be harder, and we don't mean analog video editing. I don't mean cutting together bits of films. We're talking the wild west of the early days of DV. And I have two fantastic guests: uh, one returning guest who you heard way back in the early days of the show, and a new guest. Let me reintroduce you all to Jack, aka It's an Arse. Jack, how you doing? Hello, very well. Jack, Jack, Jack is uh, currently represented, by the way, uh, by the EOS webcam utility beta. Um, you know, <laughs> as you'll see in the squad shot, Jack didn't have a camera uh, easily to hand, so we're so we just pretending that the EOS, but Jack is a piece of software. Jack, how you doing, mate? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's good being a, a beta version of some utility that I installed maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, it's probably been released, but you know, I just don't know yet. Do you even still have a Canon camera? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I've got it it's somewhere. Fair enough, uh, Jack. You, how would you describe yourself? Out and out retro nerd, or just general nerd? I don't know. Anything that anything that interests me. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be something really mundane. Either design, you know, the design of a mundane thing, or just technology or something or other tends to have been computing but me and sam have had this thing for we'll make a video and uh yeah it never really come to fruition until very recently and we've kind of had to devolve to the means and methods and and use technology that we've never used before and uh, I, i don't know why um it's probably uh the limitations of it it's certainly fascinating. Before we get into what you guys got up to, let's uh, let's uh, introduce Sam. Sam, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, good. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you very much for joining. So, because because you're new to the show, let me sort of ask you uh, tell people a little bit about yourself. What's your interest? Kind of anything, any quirky little things that we should know as we go through the episode? Uh, quirky little things. Well, uh, my job is kind of in, involved in TV and radio and university, so I'm kind of around technology quite a lot and uh my boss has been in in the business for a while so he's he knows a lot about how things have changed over the years and how, how video editing has changed over the years that's for sure quick things I, I don't know i just kind of again like jack whatever interests me i go out looking you know learning more researching yes yeah, like looking at interesting things overall Awesome. Now you you have a bit. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. But the video you took some old some old film cameras out for a little bit of a day trip, and and Sam, I know that's something that interests you. And we we were talking uh, pre-show, uh, showing you uh, my my granddad's old Kodak six twenty, and yeah. uh, f- a huge thanks to to Sam, who's actually made me realise that 
it's going to be easier than I thought to actually be able to, uh, to shoot with that because the Kodak 620, which is what this camera is, is the same film stock as the 120, which you can still get 120 film. Yeah. But it just needs, it's just on a different spool. So if you're very careful, you can re-spool the film. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the case. I think I remember reading it somewhere. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's all pretty much the same. Um, it's just, you know, different formats caught on, but I think it's all, yeah, kind of the same. And you just have to be very careful in a very dark room. Yes, I think we can do I think we can do that. I think I can. I've got, we are planning an episode on, ironically, we're going to take my, so my friend's got a Sony, he's got the A7R4. I've got my iPhone and that, and we're thinking we're going to go and do a day of the whole process of taking photos with the three different cameras and seeing all the processes that go into what you would do with those three different photos and how they end up looking. So it could be an interesting piece, somewhat similar to what you guys did. But, yeah, so how did, how did was the video just literally, oh, I want to go and take these cameras out, let's film it. How did that come about? Yeah, it was pretty much that. Okay. It was wanting to... To, to make a video of something for a very long time. And the only idea that I recall, I mean, we did make videos yeah. a while back, but they were, they were skittish. They were, they were a bit comedic. Kind of silly. <laughs> and it was a while ago. I think the only idea we'd seriously pondered was a cinematic car video thing feature. So it would be, a very cinematic thing, about three minutes long or something like that, to a song. And I had the song and I started uh, storyboarding the different shots and locations that we could do it in. And I'm, I'm thinking we can still do it. Oh, yeah. There's no reason why. It's just, like, delusions of grandeur and and it's never going to happen. <laughs> but, <laughs> it'll, it'll happen. It'll happen. We just need to... We've, now we've done one video, you know, maybe that's the... It's getting out and doing it, yeah. The jumping off point. We did go out once and got some footage, remember? The Black Fiesta. Oh, yeah, yeah, when you, when you, yeah, when you drop me off the side of the road and just waiting for you to drive by. <laughs> the, the test shots were interesting, but there wasn't enough footage to really do anything with, and it was oh, it was awful weather. So the, the like the footage looked really crap. It was just it was just dingy. It was just not very nice. There's that idea, and then we've never really done anything. And then Sam's gotten into this camera hobby thing, and somewhere along that line, I bought that video editing thing, that Casablanca, that Microsystem Casablanca video editing workstation thing, purely because it's apparently Amiga based. And I did a whole video on that, going over it, and there's some information online and all sorts of stuff. And so some footage that of of from that day uh, was recorded it recorded into that editing machine, and I used that to play around with. And then nothing really happened. And I think between that and us doing this video now, Sam has started seriously getting into film. Yeah, I think the kind of what kind of pushed me more to do the kind of video stuff, I think it just kind of combined Jack Winston to use this new camera, but also me wanting to get out and take some more pictures. Um, yeah, because I got myself a, a medium format camera. Well, I, I had one before, but it was only a bottom for like 25 quid, and it's very kind of similar to the, the Kodak in a way. It's just like a, a foldable camera thing. Um, but then I wanted something a bit more pro, 
so to speak. Because I don't know, because the problem with the old one was that it's it's got a viewfinder, but the viewfinder is in no way attached to the lens. You, you're basically pointing and just hoping for the best. It um, literally and, is just a, it's a thing by, I mean, certainly speaking for the 620, it is it's effectively just like, it's like just to, it, you look through something that's vaguely in the same direction as the lens, but as Sam said, it's not connected to the lens. Yeah, that's basically it, yeah. And then so I, I did a lot of research. Um, although I was also saying this, this, I had a camera before then, uh, I've got a Pentax ME Super, um, which I got a few years ago, but then didn't really use too much. But then my girlfriend, actually, she's kind of also into photography and stuff. And so she was taking a lot of pictures, and then that kind of inspired me to go out and take more pictures and use more things. But then when I was using the Pentax one time, after it kind of been sat around for a while, it decided to break on me. So then I got it fixed, and that's that's cool. Yeah, it's working again. And then kind of pretty soon after that, oh, it breaks again. <laughs> and then so I'm like, okay, well, what can I do in the meantime whilst it's not working? I'll buy myself another camera. That seems like the obvious choice. Not just wait around, save myself some money because I'm going to have to pay for the repairs, but no, I'll buy myself another camera. Um, so yeah, I, I got a, a Bronica ECTL, which is a, a medium format camera. Uh, takes a 6x6 image. Which is, you know, compared to the 35mm, it's pretty big. Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. What a piece of equipment. Yeah, and it. so I, I, the kind of point in the video ultimately was to kind of compare the Pentax against the, the Bronica, um, but then I think that it wasn't really much of a comparison in the end. Uh, my own bad photography skills are not being very good with the Pentax, actually, in the end. Well, it wasn't so much that it wasn't... I mean, it's not much of a comparison, clearly, because they're not... They're, they're so different. But because we we were like, oh yeah, this is a great like you can go out and take pictures. And I had bought this stupid camcorder thing. It's not even a camcorder. I'm calling it a camcorder. It's not a camcorder. It's a bloody. It, it it's a it's a video camera, a proper decent what would be probably entry level professional video camera, which I bought because. The edit, the, the editing workstation, the Casablanca. Well, it's actually the same age as that. So I thought, oh yeah, brilliant. You know, we can use this camera to capture footage that then I will ingest into the workstation and I will edit a thing and then make this video, render it out. And then I'll have to record it off of the device again because it's that old. And then it's like, oh yeah, there we go. Video editing in 1998. What do you call it? Prosumer. Entry level professional. I don't know what you call it because it was used in a number of, at least the camera was, it was used in a number of like TV shows and films. But the workstation, I don't know really who would have used it. Oh, now which can, camera is, which video camera are we talking about here? It's been... So this is a Canon XL1. So the XL1, if I remember correctly, the XL1 became a bit of a favourite with the early sort of tech video crowd. Um, or am I thinking of something else? Am I thinking of its bigger brother? I, I, I think that would be a lot newer, like the stuff that Sam's used. And it's a and it's a big... Look, this is a big camera. This is... Now, this is, this is mini-TV, isn't it? Yeah. So this is where digital video was still on tape, albeit digital tape, and... I mean, let, let's start with that because when we, when we think of digital video now, we think about SD cards or our phones 
or you know maybe high-end red mags if you're really into that and I have to admit, I've always drooled over those, those higher-end cameras. But all of the stuff that I shoot for cross wires is all shot on an iPhone. I've never used anything else for shooting for this uh, for our, our YouTube stuff. But let's just rewind. We're, we're back in the late '90s. Digital video is now becoming a thing. And what's what was the idea of it? I mean, I think correct me if I'm wrong. We had effectively two consumer digital video formats at the time. Mini DV, which is what the JVC took, and I had loads of little, you know, those little tiny, not tiny, but like the, the the handy cam style mini DVs. I had loads of those in the day, and I thought they were the best thing ever. They were not. And then we had Digital 8. Now, what was so appealing about those formats? Was it the fact they were digital? Was it the fact that it was just very, very easy to just swap them out because you could just bung it in over tape when you'd finish filming what your 60 or your 90 minutes so from i i i don't know anything right i just bought the camera because it was like i want so i own a decent bit of kit that'll be interesting uh that's somewhat professional grade you know i I don't don't know where it would have fit in but i was watching uh jackass the movie the other night and i noticed that they were actually using an XL1 to film bits of that. So it's used in that. It's used in the film 28 Days Later. That was used as one of the main cameras. And when you look at both of those two things, the shots that are being used for, that you know, they're, they're on the move. Uh, they're using it because it seems to be quite portable. I mean, it, it's sort of compact, but you still got a big lens on it and a lot of adjustments, loads of audio inputs, and you've got all of those professional-grade options that I, I don't know what they are. Like I just bought the thing, and it's very impressive, and the stabilisation from the lens, and it's, oh, it feels like a proper bit of kit now. So mini-DV, it was only like the, the XL1 sort of grade of cameras that used that. I think any of them that were better went to use DV cam, was it? Which is a different tape or something? Higher resolution? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I've used DV tape in my university as well. I think we were like the last kind of year group to use DV tapes to record things and to then, you know, log and capture footage from them onto computers and then also save back to DV tapes when we have to submit one one time. And I think we were the last people to use that because they kind of realised in uh, 2014, 2015, probably not going to be needed that much for graduates in the future so i mean i've got a bit of experience with it but you know even when can you go from filming little random things on onto sd cards or whatever it's 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 quite a change really now that was that was wasn't that 1080i well, the xl1 because... xl1 no the xl1 no, not, not the xl1 oh. no the oh. the dv what was it is it a sony pd uh, sony PD-170, I think. Yeah, I'm sure they were like 1080i. They might have been, but I cannot remember what you filmed. I, I recalled, um, uh, I told you about using one and ingesting footage into Avid when I did work experience, and I did it like once, and it was connected with Firewire, and that's the only ever exposure. And I think that was like 1080i or something. So it was still on tape, but it was, it was high-definition footage. Now, the XL1 from 98... You know, it's it's digital, but very much analog, because 
it's a tape. The only thing digital about it is the video on there is recorded digitally, but you still have a tape you've got to rewind and fast forward and record. You can record all the certain bits and play it back and and you have to like play it back into a computer to record it off. And so it's, it's kind of analog in that respect, but the footage is digital. It's weird. I've never used anything D- DV tape based. It's, it's standard def. So it is at the most 480p at the it, most. It does, it does 576i 50 fps. Oh, okay. And it does, uh, progressive. 480p at 25 fps. Okay, so it has a widescreen mode, but it what's the term, Sam? It it makes the pixels rectangular instead of square. Uh, anamorphic. Anamorphic, and it's not great. <laughs> no, no. I remember. I remember doing working with these tapes, and Jack's hit the nail on the head. Like today, you know. Okay you will have to copy your video files off your device. If you've got an iPhone and you're trying to do that USB, I, of course, there's many people in, particularly I think I've seen the rants in the RMC Retro um, Studio channel, it's USB 2, so it's slow. But this was a whole other level of slow because you were literally playing back the tape over Firewire and it had to capture it. To be honest, I would say that connecting that camera to- with Firewire to the iMac I was using initially and hitting record on iMovie is easier than getting footage off a brand new iPhone. Oh, yeah. I get that. Because I've spent a lot of time trying to get footage off an iPhone properly and then it doesn't work. No, I I can agree on that one because... Uh, dropping the footage to a Mac and it's like, why is this so slow? Yeah. Now, you just plug the camera in with Firewire... And in iMovie, you hit record and it just goes, it makes a noise, starts playing it and it's recording it in and it actually trims the clips one after the other. So you can just set it going at the beginning of the tape and come back 60 minutes later and have all your footage in clips saved on the computer. So you have to wait the hour for the, you know, the tape, but it comes out easy. Yes. I, I I will say I have had, yeah, I've had to really wait. How have I gotten up footage? I mean, I've used iCloud Sync, but that's annoying. And it compresses it, and you have to click the little button when you download it to get it in full bloody... Yeah, in the full... Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. I don't know how they ruined the workflow so much. It's why isn't it? Why doesn't it work easily? I don't want to edit it on the phone. I can't. I can't overlay stuff easily in iMovie on a phone. I'm not paying for a third party app when iMovie will just do it. Or even Final Cut Pro is that on iOS? No, no, exactly. So there you go. No, no. DaVinci have beaten Apple to having a video editing tool on their own platform. Really? I yeah. can get Resolve on my iPhone. You can get Resolve on your iPad. Oh. No, I haven't got one of them. Okay. Break. Well, well, people in general can get to reach you. I will spend a thousand pounds on another device to record footage. <laughs> I mean, come on, Jack. This is you. Of course, you're going to spend money on more devices. <laughs> no, I'm just going to buy another old camera. <laughs> I mean, I guess so. Because you've worked in, in this space. Do you, do you think 
you know, based on that, that sort of almost simplicity, plug it in, almost treat your computer like a an old VCR capturing the footage. Have things like even if we go into more professional beyond iPhone, more professional stuff in TV, have things improved? Is it easier to get footage off, or is it actually taking a step back? I suppose actually, if you, again, if you're just kind of using an SD card and then copying things over, that's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But there's a certain kind of usefulness to actually having to maybe sit through and log footage and and know what's there, so then you know when you, when it's ready to edit, you already know kind of what you've got, what you can work with. So there's a certain kind of usefulness there, but you know, in terms of speed, of course, it's a lot quicker. Just copies up an SD card. Now that 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 mindset um, was something that's detailed in the user manual of when I was trying to use Final Cut Pro Four. It was uh, what was it called? Log and capture. Yeah, yeah. And and we discussed that a bit, and I spent some time going through and and logging it all and stuff, and then it just didn't work <laughs> because <laughs> you know I can't read manuals or whatever I, I, for whatever reason. It you went to record it and it didn't work, but. Now, I, I do remember spending, I did a lot of, you know, again, a lot of projects on consumer grade deep mini DV cameras for, you know, for church and for, for family stuff and spending hours trying to get footage and logging it. Said, okay, this is the bit where the guy starts talking. This, or the family video, this is after capturing hours of footage, this is the only bit I actually really want from Disney, Disney World. And Firewire, now look, maybe some of our, our listeners do not even know what Firewire is. I mean, I'm going to guess that's actually a, a reasonable percentage of our of our listeners may not know what a Firewire connector is. It was, um, now correct me if I, it was so, I think Sony and Apple developed it jointly. It is a standard, it's technically, is it IEE1394 is the actual technical name for it? I, IEEE is the sort of, consortium that decide on the standards of of things computing wise and then 1394 is the the number for the standard for firewire like data transmission and it had a few different types than it. so there was like the four pin one and then there was a couple of different connectors and for me it was always something i'd see but i never used like even the original model of the playstation 2 had i think what sony called an i-link socket on the front which was the tiny little four pin the four pin one yeah yeah and i but i don't think it got used i don't even know what that would have been for what would you've used an iLink socket for on a ps2 i'm i'm not sure what it was used for even but it later got removed it did but you know sony did it like they did with um memory stick and uh nfc all sony devices throughout everything would have Firewire, you know, Vio machines, it, you know, featured prominently on the front of the machine, on the side of the laptop, and memory stick and all that. And and Apple devices always had Firewire. Yeah, certainly from like the, the G3, the G3 era onwards. Yeah. They and had Firewire. Yeah. I think it was quite popular with music production equipment. Mm-hmm. And yep. I don't know if they did like MIDI over Firewire. I think you, in fact, I know you could because my ve- one of the audio interfaces I used to have was a scar was a focus right. It wasn't the Scarlet, was it? It was the Focus Right Sapphire Pro Forty, 
That was a beast. It was a rack mount unit, but somehow I thought, oh, that's a good idea to buy. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of money on the thing. That was over Firewire 400 on the six-pin connector. Yeah. I remember it was Firewire 800. So without getting too much into it, it's very interesting because Apple really touted Firewire as better than USB, and it was better than an original, like, plain old USB 1.1. And... It was 400 megabits originally. Now, technically speaking, USB 2 is faster, but FireWire was able to con- uh, able to actually do sustained data transfer at 400 megabits, where USB 2 wasn't. So FireWire was considered a better standard, and every Mac nerd wanted FireWire hard drives. I think I still have some FireWire hard drives somewhere around here, um, some FireWire enclosures, rather. And you know, then they did what Firewire they did Firewire eight hundred as well, which was a bigger, older connector. That was I don't think I ever saw that used in cameras. But yeah, most of your most of your cameras would use a little four pin connector, and then you plug that into your iMac or your Vio and do the editing uh, on there, which is very interesting. So before we move into actually the actual editing experience, because I want to touch on that Amiga system as well a little bit, Jack, because that wouldn't have been digital, would it? That would have been entirely analog. Ish. <laughs> Ish, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that. But, uh, Sam, I want to ask you a question. Like, Obviously, we're talking film, old film cameras. Mm-hmm. What is it for you that attracts you to those, that old film stock and you know the, the whole process behind that? What what is it that interests you about film cameras? Because I mean, my me me sat here right now thinks, oh my gosh, I couldn't do all that work. I couldn't not see the photos I've taken straight away. You know, what is it about film cameras that excites you the most? Um, well, I think actually part of the not necessarily seeing the photos straight away. You know, there's a certain excitement in taking the pictures and then you've got to wait and see if we've messed it all up for example or if you've got some really cool pictures to begin with um there's that and then i think kind of well back, back when i got this the, the, the pentax things were crazy because now that kind of prices are really high for things because everyone's getting back into it uh, so i picked up like picked the camera up for like 50 quid wow and it was so it's kind of like yeah i could maybe get a dslr or i could get like a film camera or something and do it on the cheap because that's not the case now but um, so yeah, there's kind of that as well, and then I don't know there's something very satisfying about taking a picture, and then you've got to you've got to wind the film, advance it, and then there's that sense of closure when you've finished a roll of film. It's like okay, that's done now, and then the whole you're considering, you know, each picture is worth a certain amount of money, if you will, because you you you're paying for the film. It's a it's a it's there. You can't just carry on, you know. Um, so yeah, I guess it kind of makes you slow down and consider things again. Maybe it also it's going back to the uh, the whole process of vlogging, capturing footage. You know, you're you're considering each thing. It slows you down. You're not just doing taking a picture and then you never look at it again. You know, you, you've invested your time and <laughs> that kind of thing in there. If that makes any sense whatsoever. No, that makes perfect sense. That I get exactly what I mean. You take you take the time to compose the shot, to check the settings on your camera because I mean, I, it's been that long. I can't remember how much film used to cost, but it wasn't. I mean, let's put it this way: a roll of film then would probably cost as much as a single decent sized SD card now. 
adjusted for inflation, maybe. I might, I might be a little bit wrong about how with an SD card or your phone, you can effectively just take it, within reason, take as many photos. You don't get it quite right. I mean, now our our habit is to, you know, we're doing maybe, I, I use the example of family photos. I do this all the time. I'll, I'll be there taking a photo and I'll go, oh, you know, just one more. Oh, oh, oh you know, auntie something. Can you just, no, 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 no. Put your drink down, auntie. It's okay. You know, no, no, no. We don't. We don't need another shot of a champagne, thank you. Um, oh, you, you know. spilt it down your top. Why have you done that? I told you to put it down. <laughs> oh, bloody hell! Everyone's moved. And all, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you've got like family photos from the same event where like everything is like completely different. But every shot you took used up one of those exposures. I was trying to get the right word, but one of the exposures on the film. So you had to be mindful. And then, of course, what ended up happening, if you weren't a very good photographer, your film come, came back from Boots, the chemist, or your local photo, oh, yeah. photo lab, with a quality control sticker on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, thanks. That's the big, biggest insult, isn't it, to get a photo back from Boots with a quality control sticker? <laughs> you judge me, what? Yeah, no, I, I get exactly what you mean. So I mean, there is something really nice. Look, I, as I said, I'm really excited to... to to take that camera out, that Kodak 620, and actually shoot with it. You know, I had, you know, my childhood was, you know, little code, uh, Canon, actually, I had a Canon point and shoot. I can't remember what it was. I will, it's somewhere at my parents' place. I will find it. But it is really interesting. And I think, and then, of course, you either sent what, you send them off for development to a, to a lab, or if you're fancy. Now, I've got to ask you, were you doing your own developing at this point? Not, not yet. But one day I hope to get into it when I've got a bit more space and I'm brave enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. You know, and many listeners will know. I talked about Granddad, and Granddad developed his own film. He, he, you know, I think he used to drive, um, drive my nana crazy because she'd be wanting a loo and all, and he's trying to develop him a bathroom. <laughs> you know, he's he's filled up the tub. Yeah, I remember my Granddad having the trays and stuff because he he had a. He had a couple of SLRs and a load of lenses and stuff. He was into photography. <laughs> I remember we actually have a couple of rolls of film from a 620. We took them to Max Spielman in Tesco and asked them how much it would cost to get them developed. The poor kid running that Photoshop had no clue what he was looking at <laughs> and just did not know what to do with that film. But let's let's go back to kind of editing video. So... Look, you know, there are lots of great video editing systems, and Jack, we'll put a link to Jack's uh, video on the, what was it, what was it, the Amiga, the... Macrosystem Casablanca. The Macrosystem Casablanca. And look, there's been lots of videos on things like the Video Toaster and other edit suites. I mean, I remember in school we had an edit suite, and it was literally two v- two SVHS decks and a fancy video mixer, and that was our edit sweet it was all analog it, it wasn't cutting film it was tape to tape you know you'd have if you you know you'd have i think we had like three tape decks so that we could play you know two sources edit them together and record them to a final deck but jack what did you so let's talk first of all obviously very important what computer what mac did you start this all off on well it started on the, the casablanca Oh, okay. So this started on my Casablanca. What was your experience with the Casablanca? What, you know, what what did you find interesting about having to capture into that? Because again, I'm assuming that was not a FireWire connection. Was that just plugging in the analog video jacks? So the the Casa 
Casablanca is uh, I get a bit of technical I, as I showed in the video. I don't know much about it, but it's a thing. It looks like it looks like a bit of a hi-fi piece of equipment, and on the front it's got a nice VFD display, and the front will flip down, and you can see it's got a a caddy in there that a hard drive goes into, and it has a hard drive. It has, I think it's an eight or ten gigabyte SCSI hard drive, but in the software it only references how much how many minutes of footage that you can record in. So it's very much aimed at someone who needs to edit video well, rather than some technical someone who might be technical who might use like a video toaster on an Amiga 4000 or something like that. So for the things that the, the A4000 with the video toaster was used for seems to have been higher value productions like Titanic, for instance, I think I think it was stuff done with the video toaster for that Babylon Five, and there was uh, there's a program. What's it called? Lightwave to do some like three D stuff. Oh, three D stuff. Yeah. Well, because that's what Babylon Five was done in. But Lightwave was a lot of a Babylon Five three uh, D. I mean, it would have been, I guess, edited on a video toaster. Yeah. So then you've got that. So if I say that's like the top. I think the Casablanca fits in. I think it was like a couple of grand to buy this thing, and you got the books and the the floppy disks with the extras, which were like transitions and uh, video effects that you could apply to it. And it wasn't; you didn't need to be technical to use it. It's very much point and click. You use the trackball with it, and the interface. Didn't look like an Amiga, though the machine, the original one I think was called the Draco, was a lot more similar to an Amiga. But the uh, Casablanca is a smaller machine. It looks like a high-end bit of FIFA equipment, and you could hook up a PC keyboard, and you would get you would use a trackball mouse. They seem very particular about using a trackball mouse. And it's a nice point-and-click interface. But it has those things, like when you start it up, and the, the screen's like black and then goes grey, like an Amiga does. And then the floppy drive keeps ticking, like it's waiting for a floppy disk to be inserted, just like the Amiga. And then it boots into its OS and the, the hard drive spins up. That machine, there was a couple of different spec levels, and it is based on a Motorola 68000. But it's a 68040 or a 68060. And they marketed the 68060 version as a media accelerator or something like that. And that was like an upgrade for the machine. So you could get it with the, the accelerator. It wasn't very much specified as the technical aspect of it. Um, the memory in the system is removable, but they don't seem to mention how much memory it's got because it doesn't really matter or something. Um, so another upgrade for it was DV and it was, I think, specified as DV in. So you could record S video in to the, to the machine. You could record composite and, and phono for left and right audio. Or you could get the Firewire option and record Firewire from your camera d- digitally into the digital video editing. Uh, you know, workstation, and that gets stored on the hard drive inside, and then you you literally 
have your clips recorded in, drag them onto a timeline one after the other. You can set your audio. You can watch a preview in a tiny, tiny window on the screen that will live preview any effects and stuff. And then you can render it, which takes absolutely ages. And then you have an option to record it back to a DV tape or you can record it out to a VHS, basically a VCR connected to the machine. So it was, you didn't lose any quality if you had the FireWire option, you could record in that way. Now, mine doesn't have the FireWire option, but it does have the, the accelerator option. So it has the, uh, 68060. Very sort of clunky because it's obviously it's from 1998, but it was sold as a, a video editing workstation appliance thing, you know, an all-in-one package. You didn't put the software on it. You couldn't put the software on a a PC or an Amiga or something like that. You bought this thing and you didn't have to be technical. You could just read the manual, click the options. There was no, you know, computing sort of, you have to compile the whole thing or install the programs and stuff. It was very user-friendly. Knowing what we know now about modern video editing software, it's 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 difficult because it's so different in its in its ways. I mean, I think I found I put a link in our um, stage chat. To Jack, is that it? Because that looks like the DV option. See, they all have the port on it. Um, oh, so mine does have, have the port, but you'll see the the sticker on the back. Uh, that's it. Rendering acceleration. Mine's ticked and it has the 060. And then on mine, there's another box on the sticker that says, um, mini DV or firewire on it. And that's not ticked. So they all have the port. Actually, that one doesn't seem to have the port. Maybe they had some revisions because that looks like it's got a panel covering the back, whereas mine's just, it does, doesn't it's it? all one yeah. panel. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, um, they all had it. I don't, because there's very little information about it, I don't have, I don't know what the DV option looks like, to be honest. I know it has the port, but it, it doesn't work. Right, and that's what you said in your video, there's so little information about this. Like, because the company are still making, to this day, are still making video editing appliances. Yeah, I think one of the later ones did was called an Avio or something. Uh, but that seems to be their business model, it, it producing these appliances. But the, although I'm sure that very recently now it'll just run on Windows. I mean, I know, look, I know, didn't Avid used to be similar? Avid, you'd buy Avid systems. Um, I might be wrong on that one. But anyway, so what made you, so you'd done a little bit of editing on this, but I assume its limitations meant it. Well, so so I got that because of its relation to the Amiga, and it was quite interesting. But also, the fact that it was a non-linear editor, and it was sort of so old at the same time, I thought it'd be interesting to see what it was like to do our car video with, that never came to fruition, or hasn't yet. And so then it was like, oh, do you know what? It'd be nice to have a camera. <laughs> and so that's that's how I bought the Canon XL1. I see. So then, obviously, moving forward to this video, we're we moving on to Final Cut 4. This is old school. Now, was this full-blown Final Cut? This wasn't Final Cut Express. This was Final Cut. Yeah, so this is me on my Dream Power Mac G4. 
tower, downloading Final Cut Pro, installing it, and expecting to be able to fly it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, first of all, yes, on the Power Mac G4, because that thing is, an, uh, is a beautiful machine. I remember drooling after that when I saw the Power Mac G4. I'm like, I want that. It had that aesthetic, and, of course, it had Firewire. And you installed Final Cut. What went wrong? Because you said be, you expected to be able to fly it. What what happened, Jack? Because I, I think this is a wonderful part of the story. Is Because obviously you've got the video. It's done. But what went wrong along the way? So, well, the first hurdle was I cheaped out on the XL1. I took, I took, I took the risk. Basically, on the used market, they're between 200 and 350 quid still for, for some old video camera thing. I took a risk and bought one that had been listed as, um, you know, like a house clearance or something like that. And it, did, it didn't it did have a battery. It was, you know, I, I looked at the pictures and it looked in all right condition, but they couldn't test it. It, you know, had a, it was, there was a bit of muck on it. And I, I checked the other listings on the seller and it looked like, yeah, they do house clearances. <laughs> so I bought it. I sent an offer and I think just for like 10 or 20 quid off. So I get, I got it for about 70 quid. I got it and we filmed the thing and I, well, I did some test footage and I was like, right, I, now I can record S video into the Casablanca. Brilliant. So I connect it and I'm like, Oh, why is everything in black and white? So <laughs> I'm, ch- I'm checking all the settings and this, that and the other. And, and, and I'm sure I think, I think Sam went, why don't you email Canon? <laughs> <laughs> so I did anyway, because I thought, you know, that would be interesting. And kept messing about with it. And so over, over S video and composite out, the image is only in black and white for some reason. Now, the only information I found about this is another eBay listing for an XL1 was shown being demonstrated using either the composite or the S video out on a TV and it was in color. So I was like, right, well, mine's faulty then because my footage is in color on the viewfinder. Yes, a color viewfinder, an LCD color viewfinder in 1998. Pretty good. So I was like, oh no, is my only bet. And my mum and dad told me, oh, we've got this iMac, get rid of it. It's one of yours. Right. Okay. So I recently got that. So I ordered up the correct uh, Firewire cable. Plumbed it into this this iMac, fired up iMovie, and there it was in colour. So I recorded all the footage in, and I, was, I edited up a video in iMovie. Now that was iMovie HD, so this would have been 2009. With is it is it iLife 09? iLife 09. I remember that. Be, I remember iMovie 09 coming out. Yeah, was it 06? Because the Mac, the Mac is a two thousand and six Core Two Duo. Oh wow! Okay, so, so it was very... it was quite a new version <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. It was quite quite a new version of iMovie. Uh, it was all right, but you can't put two clips in one on top of the other. No, right? So and you can't do more complicated stuff. So we had the idea of ah, oh, well, Sam's got all these cameras and he needs to go out and I'd like to go and shoot some footage. Oh, let's shoot let's shoot a comparison video kind of thing on, on the two film cameras, the Bronica and the Pentax. Oh, yeah, brilliant idea. So we did. We went out, filmed. Um, come back. 
I think we had a really good time. I enjoyed myself, and it was it was great using that camera. Yeah. Um, come back, ingested the footage into the iMac, and I couldn't believe it. Like I was seriously impressed with like it. It has like a certain tonality to the the footage that's kind of analog. Like it had a bit of a warmth to it, but you could tell it was a more professional image because of the stabilization. Clearly, the lens was pretty decent and um I mean, I read the specs on that lens and it was it was a pretty decent like it had a good lens at the time oh yeah and and we what was it we used yeah so the voiceover bits that sam did i bought this really cheap knockoff road um what are they called the wireless ones oh the the not uh, some knockoff wireless goes right yeah yeah the included microphones were awful. The one built in was awful. The lav that was included was awful. And uh, but I had this uh, really good Sony stereo lav mic. So we plugged that into the sender Sam had, and then we had the receiver. It, so these don't have built-in storage, but the the wireless. I think it's two point four gigahertz. So I, I then had on the. Uh, the hot shoe on top of the uh, XL1. I had the receiver with a lead going into the vid- to, into the audio input on the side, and you could mon- you can plug headphones into the the camera and monitor the audio and set the levels and this that and the other. That was bliss. Like setting that up and getting the levels right. That was so good, and being able to monitor it as well. Um, I mean. I'd never done that before. I thought, oh yeah, this works really well. So we did the voiceover bit. Sounded pretty good. The camera action went well, apart from the Bronica jam, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what happened there is because this is kind of like the first proper shooting I'd done with the Bronica, so I'd never finished a full roll. You know, I'm reading like, okay, so it should once it gets to the end of the last frame, it should just kind of wind off, and it will be any issues. But then it's like, oh, I still have to actually advance the shutter. Really? Is this right? But yeah, that, that's my fault. I should have researched more. Uh, but I think yeah, everything kind of went well that day with the with the Canon at least. Yeah, it, well, it was it was great fun because it was the the Bronick is 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 a piece of art. It's gorgeous. The viewfinder is gorgeous. You know, the thing's so well built. Seeing it and 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 using it and stuff was amazing. And it was just, the whole thing's a complete learning experience for both of us. Using this old equipment, whereas we could have done the same with modern stuff. I don't think it would have had the the right feel to it because we're just so familiar with 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 DSLRs and and newer equipment. Because of course it's done like that because that's the way it works. Because you know that is the way it works now. Whereas with the older stuff, it works in a different way, and it's interesting to learn that. And how, you know your experience of your do, yeah. I mean, there's a reason professional cameras have audio inputs. You know, it's one of the biggest points of frustration now is getting good audio onto particularly smartphones. I mean, look, I've got the uh, Rode, uh, Rode, what is it? The VideoMic L, the LE, the one that plugs into Lightning. Hmm. Great microphone. One slight problem. You cannot use it if you have your iPhone mounted into your Osmo Mobile 5 because it overbalances the gimbal. And that that's because obviously I have an OM5 as well. Uh that's a that's a problem. That that is a big issue. Um, yeah. So we got the footage out, and it just had that sort of an, an analog feel for me to it. 
and it was just a pleasure to work with absolute pleasure to record with and get the footage out of until i started using final cut pro yes so so just just for clarity at the point that you are coming into this so you've got this now at this point are you still on the imac or have you moved to the the g4 tower to start using final cut so i i bought a power mac g4 um mirrored drive door locally and it's the it's basically the one i've always wanted it's the dual cpu um is that a 500 dual a dual 500 no it's like a 1.25 gigahertz oh so this is a this is a nice high-end g4 it's 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 the absolute top spec mirrored drive door g4 last one that ever made Oh yeah, because the, the, the MDD would be was the MDD the last of the. It G4s? was the last one, so they had the, um, the last one wasn't compatible with OS nine. So Apple, the the last most powerful one, what it's oh it's dual one point four two gigahertz uh, G four. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Which is the the absolute last model. So I think it was late two thousand and four. And Apple brought out another model that was less powerful but was compatible with OS 9 because of those people that still needed to use OS 9 compatible apps. Then they discontinued the G4 and the G5 come out. So I was, I was absolutely stoked to have this machine. It's like, it's, it's basically my favorite Mac tower and I, I, I was never able to get one. So it's amazing. I've had, I've had the other ones like the Quicksilvers and the, uh, the uh, what's it called? The one with the stripes. It's got like the pinstripes and the plastic. Uh, the graphite. Graphite, yeah. So I've had all the other models, and I've had dual CPU ones, but it's never been the same. So I got this thing, and I was like, "Oh, I'm so excited!" So I put put a ten dot four tiger on it, and I was like, "Right, what's the version of? I want to try Final Cut Pro because it's a proper thing, and I I can't do what I want with the footage in iMovie. It's just too basic." So. It turned out it was Final Cut Pro 4. So I got that, installed it, and then it was like, right, I'll have to read the manual. So I had to read the manual because it's that complicated. (laughs) And then you have to use this function called log and capture, where you go through it and you log all your clips, and I'd named them all and set the timestamps or whatever, or at least I thought I had. I'd gone in and clicked record, and it come up with a timecode error. And it was something like time code missing or something like that. And I was like, oh, oh no, because I'd, I'd spent an hour or two logging all of these clips. I just thought, no, 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 I'm not doing this. And so I opened iMovie and just clicked record and it just imported all the clips. And then it's all on the drive as .dv files. And so okay. then I just put them in Final Cut Pro and started editing. And it was all right. The editing's easy enough, apart from it beeps at you. If you put audio on there and try and play it back, it starts beeping because the audio isn't rendered for the clip. Oh, yeah. But I had to Google yeah, it. I, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, rem- I remember you had to wait. You see, again, these days with the power... I mean, if you're editing in Final Cut Pro on an Apple Silicon-based machine, an M2... You know, my my next Mac is probably going to be one of the M2 Pro Mac Minis. But even this iMac, this, this glorious iMac that I have here, I very rarely have to wait for stuff to render. But back then, you had to wait for stuff to render before you could preview it. It wasn't, um, it wasn't that. It was... 
you you put the clip on the thing on the timeline and you then tried to play it back and it would beep because the audio wasn't rendered for some reason. Oh, so it wasn't it wasn't just it wasn't just that it was waiting to render, it was that the audio hadn't for some reason. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the, the once you were editing the machine was really good. Like you would drag a clip on the timeline and press space bar and it would play back immediately. Uh, even when you had everything in place and the transitions are used, you could play the entirety of the, the timeline in real time without having to wait. But for some reason, there was this thing with the audio and I, I, I don't understand. But you don't have to do that now, do you? You don't have to tell it to render the audio so that it doesn't just beep at you. <laughs> I think I'm going to make an assumption that a lot of that would have come down to what the format of audio was. I, I just Something is ringing true here from my experience. But yeah, you'd have to render audio so it was in the right format. Yeah, and again, you don't have to do that now. And, you know, bear in mind, folks, this is Final Cut 4. So this was way before the magnetic timeline. You're having to align those clips manually. And it looks old. Like, the software does look old. Even though it's it's from 2004, it it had the older Mac, OS, Mac, Mac OS 10.2, like, brushed aluminium finished to all the UI and stuff. And there was a lot of grey, and so the UI was quite old looking. Um, but it worked until I tried to export it. So the footage was fine. It knows what to do with DV footage. Perfect. It fitted the project settings. You know, the template was there. I give it the clips. Perfect. Worked. Um, once you put a clip on the timeline, the audio had to be rendered. Like you could just play it in the, the bin and it would, it would play fine and play the audio. So I put all my things in there. I put a couple of titles in there and, um, it, it become apparent that we hadn't shot enough footage talking about the Pentax. <laughs> well, it, it says a lot, doesn't it really? Um, so at this point, did you drag Sam back out to record more footage on the Pentax? Did Sam get dragged out? Do you know, that would have made more sense, wouldn't it? But no, that did not. <laughs> well, it, it was like, like on the day I was like, cause it was the first time I'd seen that camera or anything, the Bronica. And it was, you know, I've used film SLRs in the past. They're nothing new to me, but this medium format thing that I've since learned is medium format. Oh yeah. It was, it's just a proper bit of kit that. So it, it was the star of the show. It was, you know, it was my favorite of the day. Like that's what was used all day, pretty much. So you weren't paying attention to the Pentax. Is, is that the deal? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the video came out pretty well for someone. You know, a, a, a couple of lads not really planning anything at all other than, yeah, we'll, we'll do that on Saturday. And we did. So if we add some structure to it and applied all of the methodology that Sam knows because he, he's a professional, um, <laughs> then we, we get a really good result out of it. The idea was that we, I, I would edit it again on the Casablanca and then whilst also giving Sam the footage, uh, to edit it in a modern tool his way, you know, edit it however he likes, and then we would watch all three and and just just go, oh yeah, that was cool, or this that and the other, and because just because because there's not enough sort of footage, it's not very good because we were very casual about it. We didn't have much to say about the Pentax. 
Right. The video the the video I did has has the titles for uh sections for Bronica verdict and Pentax verdict because at the end of the day we actually sit down on the bench using the uh what's the type of microphone, Sam, on the camera? The 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 long one on top of the camera. Oh, oh the, the, it's kind of a rifle mic kind of thing. Right. It has one of those. <laughs> and so we sat we sat on a bench and did you know, a conclusion to put in the video. And we, we filmed that and used the audio from the rifle mic. And it was all right, but it was a bit too far away, I think. I was surprised it was that good because it didn't have the foam sock on it. And there was a bit of wind every so often. And there was some, like, traffic noise in the distance. But you could hear what we were saying. The only thing I couldn't do in Final Cut Pro was figure out how to bump the gain up and apply an EQ. Ah. It's a bit advanced, that. So the next thing we do, we're going to apply ourselves, and that one is the video. It, it will be it will be so much better, and we'll put some thought into, you know, laying out a video. I'll, I'll take Sam's lead, because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, we'll plan that. would be a good plan. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's, I mean, that's, that's maybe, you know, obviously, look, this was a, as I like Jack's phrase, a casual video. But obviously, you know, when you're filming, you know, be even nowadays, you know, you're filming your YouTube short or you're filming your thing, you will plan your shots. It's very interesting because you can do so much in editing, but if you don't have the storyline or the the shots planned out, you're probably not going to get anywhere. So, uh, Sam, I want to uh, obviously sort of bring this into the modern age a little bit and say, you know, first of all, are there any advantages? I mean, we've talked about the the, the that sense of accomplishment, a sense of pride and taking your time over a analog photo is there any benefit in editing with older tools and using older cameras or is is it just gone because it's so much easier to edit in, in modern tools yeah there's an advantage of doing it the old way i suppose yeah because you're a bit more involved in it you're thinking about it more touching it before because things take more time or, or you only get one shot at doing something so that you kind of you probably learn a bit more technical side of things. You consider things more. Yeah, you really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I did, you know, yes, technology is a lot better now, and things are a lot easier. So maybe in some ways, yeah. It, if if your camera can do, you know, full auto, and and you can quickly edit things, that's good in one sense. But then, is it is it any better because of that? I don't know. Really, uh, again, it's. No idea what I'm talking about, really, but I'm trying, trying to get... There's probably pros and cons to both. I'd always recommend people trying different things out just to see what it's like, see if they learn anything, see if they enjoy it, you know, because cause it is a different thing. It's almost like a whole different exercise, you know, doing things the old-fashioned way. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely good to look back and see how things were and, and see how things changed and then also kind of apply things that you would have done in the past to the, the present as well. Certainly when it comes to considering what you're shooting and maybe planning ahead and, you know, knowing, yeah, logging and, and, and knowing what's good. So then, because you do that at that stage, you do your logging and stuff before you kind of go to editing, you can edit a lot quicker and you kind of know in your head what will look good. And yeah, I, explaining things is not my, I'm better behind a camera in front of it than in front of the camera. So I, no, you're coming across great, Sam. Honestly, it's fine. And look, there's one I skipped over, and I guess 
it's something we've almost, almost hinted on because Jack's experience of trying to capture the footage in a professional two like final cut and then goes into iMovie and it just does everything. Is it fair to say that when Apple brought out the iMac DV, which was the first iMac with Firewire, and unveiled iMovie to the world, do you think they shook up the home video editing space? I mean, they almost, cre- they almost created the, the home digital video editing space, right? And then, what, advanced everything else in, in the process? But do, do you think Apple have a fair claim on shaking up that, that easy-to-use digital, digital uh, video editing market? Question for both of you, by the way. Well, you know how old we are. I remember when I was a lad. When we were in school, <laughs> it was uh, there was a separate building with like IMAX and stuff in, and they had a lot of different facilities. That's the only that's the earliest recollection of video editing on computers, and that would have been two thousand and seven ish. So after the Intel transition, at the point where yeah, yeah, these were like white IMAX seventeens, some some G fives, and then larger like twenty inch. I think before they went to the aluminium ones. So you're both of an age where, when you came into doing video stuff, it was already well beyond the iMovie stage. It was iMovie. Well, there was iMovie there at home. It would have been Windows Movie Maker in XP, mm. and and then uh, pirated copies of uh, Sony Vegas Eight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But to to answer your question, I can only speculate. Apple's very good at taking a bunch of things that already exist and putting them together in one simple package, right? So you buy, you've got your camcorder there that you've paid whatever money for that's handheld. And Techmon's done a really good video on his experiences with earlier camcorders uh, that were DV or whatever. And he he shows his struggles now using modern tools to get the footage off them and it not going very well. Uh, I, I've had similar experience getting that DV footage, trying to pass it to Sam for him to edit, and it's really it's well put it like this: it's not happened. Um, no, I have not got this footage. He's, so. <laughs> he's not got the footage, and I can't remember if I did get it converted. I think I might have had to like save it as an AVI file that's like. MPEG two because DV just doesn't work on anything modern. But Tech Techmon has the answer. I think he used an older version of Vegas on a Windows machine because his latest version is it iMovie or Final Cut Pro ten? Is it ten or X? Whatever. Ten. Whatever the latest stuff, because he's a Mac user, that won't open DV. And he, he says like he goes into detail on it. So I, I do have an iMac G3 with the Firewire on. So I can only imagine that if you had a, a, a new camcorder back then, you could plug in a cable and, at least in the early 2000s, have iMovie. And because that's, I, I don't run OS 9, I, I run OS 10 on my G3. It, it can have iMovie and you can plug it in and have that. That, that would have been a brilliant experience. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Look, I, I, a memory's just come back to me of working. You know, we talk about how much I shook up work. So I was obviously doing stuff with my youth leader back in the day, and he had been gifted, well, he'd been gifted the funds for this ridiculous 
the PC-based Premier Pro, and you went on a course for it, video editing system, and it had a Matrox capture card, he would end up editing like a five-minute clip inside of Premiere. It would take ages to capture the footage because capture card. I mean, his file, you know, were like hundreds of megs. Like, I think it was 800-odd meg. Now, I might sign that's tiny these days, right? But 800-odd meg for a five-minute clip. The problem was that nobody had storage medium big enough to fit the files on to then come and play through all the computers with video projectors. And I think we ended up having like we ended up having to really squash the resolution down. Or I think we ended up having to like buy what did we end up doing? I think someone bought a really expensive external hard drive for this stuff. And it was just ridiculous. I think um the footage I recorded in was like I mean, how long was the video? 12 minutes edited down? I think there might have been half an hour of footage recorded in. I think that was about 6 gig in DV format. And bear in mind that that Power Mac has a 60 gig hard drive. So that's... So you've used a tenth of your hard drive. Exactly. On an unedited file that then I've got to edit and export. We should be very grateful for modern compression, I guess, at this point. Well, we have so much more storage compared to the size of the files. True. I mean, yeah, look, you know, I mean, I've got what, one terabyte SSD hanging off this iMac for for video stuff. I mean, I've got my NAS. So, yeah, it's a very interesting point. You know, but all now, and I think my wrapping up thought is going to be, look, when we look at modern tools, and we've talked about, you know, modern filmmaking tools. Um, we've talked about mobile video tools. You know, we did an episode about mobile videography and editing, you know, LumaFusion on the iPad and the iPhone. Now, Jack, I know that you do not want to pay for a third-party app. But I but I did listen to the episode, and it was great. And I think that was one of the things I said to you, like, we were doing this thing, me and Sam, and we should talk about that as well. Yeah, because it's good to look at how, how far we've come. But, you know, when we talk about, you know, iMovie being available on iPhone and iPad, and... Look again compared with where iMovie was when Jack when we're talking like iMovie HD, yeah, it's far better. You can lay clips on top of each other now. I think you can anyway. Hmm. I think you can in iMovie. I might be wrong, but, but you've got you know LumaFusion at the lower end, and then on iPads, and I, f- I think it has to be Apple Silicon I, again. We'll double check, but DaVinci Resolve running on an iPad that is, and. Things like Final Cut Pro 10 are wonderful tools. And also, fair play to Apple, Final Cut has massively come down in price. Final Cut used to be several, like nearly 900... No, it it was a lot more. It wasn't 900. It was very expensive. And now Final Cut Pro is about $200, 200 pounds. And and I've I've bought this like probably 10 years ago. No, I bought Final Cut Pro a long time ago. And I've never had to pay for an upgrade. Wow. It's really cool. It's pretty good. Um, whereas, and I'm sorry to, I, Sam, I apologize. I mean, I don't, I don't know. You, you, I take it in, in your line of work, are you doing more Premiere? Uh, well, it's interesting going at the moment where we're kind of uh, in the stages of changing things over. So just because our journalists, and so the kind of whole workflow there is kind of based around Avid. Right, okay. And so there's this whole discussion about where we go and but I, but the problem is most places now just go subscription to things yeah 
So there's just a massive cost involved in that. So it's great to have, you know, places, programs that are just like, oh, you pay for it once, upgrade for life. So like DaVinci is as well. Mm. I bet much of DaVinci, you can just get the free version and it's good enough for pretty much everyone as that, you know? So It's amazing what it is for free, yeah. Yeah. Like half, I mean, I'm pretty sure that probably half the retro YouTubers in vrmc discord again this is how i met jack so I'm, I'm referencing this i know a lot of them use the free version of discord to uh, of discord that'd be great uh, of well, of da vinci to do their videos i think it's fantastic best free and, tool uh, but yeah it's a free tool and sam's hit the nail on my head adobe i'm gonna call out adobe adobe premiere pro uh, and the whole creative cloud subscription thing is becoming ridiculous and I look subscription. I don't have a problem with subscription for services, like for example, One Password or Wallaroo, or you know, even smaller apps like Ivory for Mastodon, for example. I pay for that yearly because I know that that's ongoing support to the developers. But it just doesn't feel right with Adobe because, you know, my opinion on the Adobe Creative Cloud products is that it's so antiquated and cobbled together now and patched and new features aren't there that Serif are doing with the Affinity Suite and they still charge loads of money for it every month because they can, because it's industry standard. Yeah. yeah. Not because it's particularly good at anything. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who are going to disagree, but uh, the mighty have fallen. I don't think you're wrong. All right, so wrapping up, if, if I, I'll ask you both, for two two features of of modern video editing apps that you are the most grateful for, that if if you could transplant back in time to these older solutions, and uh, maybe this is more relevant to you, Jack, but certainly for yourself, Sam, what what are the two tool, the two features of a modern app that you just either couldn't live without, or if you could take back in time and implant into old versions of Final Cut, or even uh, even this. I forgot the damn name of it. Uh, even the Casablanca. What would it be? So I think we'll start with we'll start with you, Jack. <laughs> Speed and ease of use. <laughs> <laughs> Very broad, there, mate. But I like it. I like it. I mean, yeah. Okay, we'll we'll go with those. We'll go with those. It's kind of annoying. I was going to say the same thing. But I guess I'll try and think of something a bit different, or or maybe go a bit more specific with them. Um, I suppose. Maybe accessibility, you know, we were just talking about, you know, the, the, how you can get DaVinci Resolve for free and, 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 and things quite cheap, but, you know, the fact you can oh, yeah. Yeah. edit anywhere or, or on a, pretty much anything if you want to, it, it's, it, it, it takes it out of being, you know, professionals only, and now you can just, anyone can do it, you know, anyone can make a, a short film for, about anything they want to. I mean, I'm sure you can do that on, you could do that with like editing in camera and filming things, but if you wanted to just kind of put together a, I don't know, a holiday film or something, you know, you could do that really easily. It's very easy to use and friendly and yeah, yeah, it's making the ease of use, yeah, but you know. No, I get, no, the, the accessibility of, no, I get exactly what you mean. The, the the ability to be able to edit, I think I like that phrase, editing anywhere on almost anything. Mm. I mean, look at some of it, you know, DaVinci Resolve being a great example. It's on every platform, on Linux. Heck, in fact, you know what? 
on I could actually edit video on my Steam Deck. I mean, technically, you can edit video on a PlayStation Five if it's a clip of a game you've recorded. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I I suppose that is still technically editing a video, isn't it? It's still a captured video. And, I mean, the only downside, and this is obviously a joke, folks, is it has enabled the influencers. Is that a good thing? Well, yeah, I mean, this has just popped into my head, right? On YouTube Shorts, and I haven't used TikTok, but I imagine it's the same, you're technically video editing to create the short to then literally upload there and then. Because you you can record sections of it, can't you? Yeah. And then put that things together a, yeah. and do certain things to it and then like upload it. You're technically editing it there and shooting, editing and uploading very rapidly without thinking about it. That, that you could consider that as a video editing tool. But the, you, what you're doing is you're just making a short video that goes out. You know what? You're right. I mean, ev- look, even the photos app, app on ios and uh, many you know, of course i'm not excluding android uh but many other options on android you can trim clips well that's editing yeah you can change the color that's editing so yeah i think that's a really good point to take away awesome all right guys this has been such a fun chat we will absolutely be linking uh the video that the guys shot um, Jack's blog post bemoaning all of his little issues that he had along the way. Sam's also got a a post on his findings on the same side. It's it's very rambly. Rambly is always good on a blog post. We will we'll put those into the show notes as well as as many links as we can find to various bits and pieces. I've been writing out a few bits and pieces as as we've been going on. Thank you both for your time. It's been it has been a longer recording, folks. We we've been sort of we've almost been storyboarding part of this episode as we've been going on. Figure out okay, what do we want to talk about? Um, you know, even with a, a plan, sometimes things change. And I hope you've enjoyed the conversation, Sam. If uh, if people want to find out more about yourself, do you have a blog? Do you have a web? Uh, any social media that people might want to follow? Uh, Instagram's probably the most interesting. You can see some uh, pictures on there. Yeah, Sam Jackson Media on Instagram. You'll find me on there. Awesome. Thank you very much. And Jack, what about yourself? I mean, uh, you're all over the place. But is there anything you want to highlight at the moment? Oh, thanks. Really appreciate this opportunity to haul myself out. Go on, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, um, you'll you'll see the uh, the video to the Casablanca if you want to see that. Um, there's other videos on that YouTube channel. You've done you've done, some, you've done a bit of YouTube, haven't you? But, you've done a bit of YouTube. Yeah, as I well. mean, the, the point of that channel is uh, I just do a video as I want, very little editing to it, ironically, um, on things I think that are just really cool. Uh, it's all technology, and then we started this blog thing as. Just, just, we just want to write stuff and the camera thing has been a good excuse to build it and, and do, do the writing. So it's more for us personally. We're not really bothered about anyone reading it. It's, it's good. It's like, it's like I enjoyed reading Sam's post and he's took the time to sit down and write that and how he wants exactly and put any pictures in it. And it's, it's long, it's long form and uh, yeah, it's a nice exchange. But anyone can read it. Yeah, awesome. I, I will promote that. God ask you both. Are you have you made the move to Mastodon yet? Have you discovered Mastodon? No, no. no. 
Nope. Thank you, Elon Jack. Musk, for removing the uh, the the option that that says you have to log in to view any more posts on Twitter. That is brilliant. Thank you very much. I don't do Twitter. I don't do anything like that. It's, I hate it. But when there's something interesting on there, it doesn't hassle me to sign in now. <laughs> yeah, because he wants anybody to be viewing the tweets. Anybody doesn't care who it is. Just, just please, please that's, view that's the fine. tweets. That's fine. I mean, look, you know, I never thought I'd hear someone thank Elon Musk on a podcast, but there we He's go. done one good thing. Uh, what's that? Well, removing the sign-in prompt on Twitter. Okay, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay fine. We'll, we'll, we'll count that as the one good thing that Elon Musk has done. And on that, we will roll that outro. Thank you, boys. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post, or if you're a good pod user, why not start a discussion there too? You can also join our new Discord server at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got forum channels for each episode, and we'd love you to join the discussion there. You can also follow us on Mastodon at crosswires at mastodon.social. And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps, and all the really bad ones too. More of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos, and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live our upcoming streams. If you like what you heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crossed wires. That is ko-fi.com slash crossed wires. Until next time, thanks for listening. Do you want to change the world? So do I. On this podcast, we meet artists whose work is doing just that. Welcome to Art Heals All Wounds. I'm your host, Pam Uzel. Each week, I interview an artist and talk about their work. As creative thinkers, artists present us with some of the most compelling visions of ways that our world could work better for everyone. Art around environmental, social, and racial justice, gender equity, ways to build community and bridge divisions, and solace for grieving. If we can see solutions to the things that prevent us from thriving as individuals and societies, we can imagine implementing those solutions. Once we imagine that, we can become the people we want to be, belonging to communities that nurture everyone and living in societies based on equity and justice. How do we change the world? One artist at a time.